Welcome to the Variety Hour on AM 990, where local leaders talk Memphis. Listen to you, move your mouth. I bet you come from way down south. Now don't tell me, let me guess. You from the town that I love best. Talk Memphis, I wish you would. Talk Memphis, you sound so good. Talk Memphis, high on the bluff. I swear I can't get enough. Listening to you talk that stuff. Talk Memphis, oh Welcome to Talk Money on AM 990. And now here's your host, Jim Shoemaker. You know, Jeremy, we've got a program lined up today that I think we want to just let everybody know that we're going to get some economic data. I mean, really solid end of July. Let's really get into it. And I can't wait because Rusty Leonard's going to be our guest in a few minutes. And one of the things that Rusty does is takes that enormous amount of complexity and brings it down into simple terms. And we're going to talk about China. We're going to talk about Greece. We're going to talk about Janet Yellen. So a lot of good stuff. But before, it's Facts on Friday Day, man. Facts on Friday. Facts on Friday. And I like what we've got today. So there's a couple of things. Homeownership rate. You know, this is surprising. And I think it's um, it surprised me when I read it. And I, and I guess it's because I would have thought that we would have really been uh, climbing, uh, still climbing out of the hole, but we would have already gotten to that point. So what are we talking about? Right. I think homeownership has increased, but then population has increased, and then there's a lot of things that go along with that. But this comes from the Census Bureau, and it's talking about a 22-year low. When you talk about the national homeownership rate. That's people leaving apartments, leaving home, leaving mom and dad, and moving moving out out and buying a home. Absolutely. So at the end of the first quarter in 1993, uh, the homeownership rate was 63.7%. Okay. Okay. All right. And then it peaked, peaked at 69.2% at the end of the fourth quarter in 2004. Okay. So literally almost 10 years, it went from 63.769. Exactly. Exactly. Now, today, the rate uh, since the first quarter of 2015 has dropped all the way back to the 63.7%. That's shocking. It is pretty shocking. Um, but you got to think about, uh, you know, the pop- you know, more and more people, more younger people moving out. But, you know, a lot of people are just renting homes today. And it's just a list. Of, well, you know, we've gone through the, hu- the housing crisis. Yeah, I think and the last so, seven years has had a lot to do with that. And that's just the bottom line. We still have not reclaimed the territory that we had had gotten to in 2004. Yeah, and confidence and comfortability in their finances and, and, and jobs. And then also, too, uh, what I'm seeing um, it might be going up is, you know, the increase of uh, uh, rent. Yeah. You know, yeah, rent is getting out of control these right. days. So you're going to find that pressure will eventually, I hope, switch sure. and move us back into it. Well, again, there's another statistic that I wanted, another fact on Friday, and it has to do with reality. And Hart was so good at uh, playing our German this morning. So Absolutely. Uh, so you want to talk about cash and spending. Germans conduct 80% of their financial transactions in cash. Wow. 32% on a credit card. If yeah. we cannot afford it, we do not buy it. <laughs> That's great. You know, you know, our local German just told yeah, us what German. to do. You know, again, I think, Art, you got a point. That's it. If you can't afford it, you don't buy it. And that's been a fiscal, you know. Uh, Art, do you pay everything in cash? <laughs> now I do. <laughs> okay. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's a mindset. It's kind of one of those situations. It's a statistic that I think tells you a little bit about 
that German mentality and why, and we'll you know get into that again a little sure. bit with Rusty too, with the mindset that if you can't afford it, you don't buy it, and if you don't have the cash, you don't buy it. And it's amazing to find out that that we'll have to look up and see what the difference is between the Germans and maybe what the U.S. How many uh, you know the U.S. mindset from that standpoint? Right. So absolutely, yeah, that's a, it's amazing all the things we had going on. When we come back, we've got Rusty Leonard. Of course, you know who he is. He's a frequent guest of ours. He is the founder and CEO of Stewardship Partners Investment Council. He's a certified financial analyst and a very, very good guest for us. And we're going to dive into some of the economic numbers that we've seen through the month that has been absolutely a ho-hum, know-nothing economic data all over the place, nothing type of a month. That's July. So I'm looking forward to that. Stay tuned. We'll be back after this. You're listening to Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. Podcasts of the Talk Money program are available for iOS mobile devices. Go to the iTunes store and search for Shoemaker Financial. Talk Money will return right after this. Have you thought about pursuing a career in financial services but have no experience in the industry and need training? If you are goal-oriented, highly motivated, and enjoy working with people, you have the skill set Shoemaker Financial is looking for. Shoemaker Financial is continuing to grow their team of financial advisors in the Mid-South, and they're ready with the training and tools you need to get started. With over 35 years of providing professional advice, quality products, and excellent service in the Mid-South, you too can now be a part of their growing firm. If you're interested in learning more about this opportunity, contact Contact Haley Kemp at 901-757-5757 or email at hkemp at shoemakerfinancial.com. Helping you make the most of your money. This is Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. Remember, financial advisors do not provide specific tax or legal advice, and this information should not be considered as such. You should always consult your tax or legal advisor regarding your own specific tax or legal situation. And now, once again, here's your host for Talk Money, Jim Shoemaker. And welcome back. Our guest today is Rusty Leonard. He is a certified financial analyst. He's the founder and CEO of Stewardship Partners Investment Council Incorporated, a frequent guest of ours, a dear friend, and a man that is extremely smart, Jeremy. And so when he, you know, it's one of the things we used to hear that when 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 Rusty talks or speaks, everybody listens. Yeah. That's the way it works. So, Rusty, we're ready to listen to you, man. Welcome to the program, sir. Well, thank you. It's always a pleasure to be with you. Let's start, first of all. I mean, we have had a uh, a rough July. It has been uh, kind of uh, up and down, and the economy seems to be starting and stopping. But, but let's start with that. How do you feel that things are going? How, you know, are things better, worse, staying the same? I mean, the headlines, it's according to where you get up in the morning and where you're located and which journal you're reading, you know, which uh, paper. What's What do you think? What's going on? You've described it well. I mean, it's it's very true that the economy really isn't uh, setting a pattern that is either, you know, really good or really bad. It's falling in the middle. You have one number that makes you think, oh, gosh, that's not too good. And then another number comes out and think, oh, everything's just fine. Like this morning, we had a number on the employment cost index, which is basically how much uh, salaries are increasing and wages are increasing for workers. And obviously, we want that number to go higher. And uh, the number came in at one-third of what it was expected to come in. And so then, the, you know, you have to step back and say, well, why is that? If the economy was doing well, you'd see wages going up much more than this. And that number had been stronger in the first quarter, but in the second quarter it weakened off again. So it's, there is no pattern that you can really hang your hat on at this point in time to say the U.S. economy is definitely powering ahead or, or it's definitely falling apart. It's doing neither. And it's just kind of coasting along as it has for this whole 
six-year recovery, which has been a kind of a, a sputtering uh, recovery that's moving slightly forward, but you know certainly not in any way that encourages anybody to any great extent. You know, the thing about it is what we a lot of people forget is the economy seems to be, we always think that the economy dictates what the market's doing or, you know, the rising of interest rates dictate what the market's doing. Sometimes we just have to put it all together. So I want to take a break, and we've got to come back in just a few seconds. But what I'd like to do is, if we could, I'd like to get some idea. You know, the Fed's talking about raising rates and all those things going on. So, Rusty, I know I kind of put you on the spot a little bit, cause I, but I'm very confident that you will have no problem with this. Give us a little bit of why, the, if you said the economy is kind of spitting and sputtering and not doing really great, and the Fed's thinking about raising interest rates and fiscal policy and monetary policy. What do you think that'll do with the financial markets? But kind of walk us through why that all works together. What really, really goes on in that process? Yeah, there's a lot of ingredients to that soup. And it's always yeah, it to, is. Uh, I know. <laughs> hard to work it out, of course. But uh, I, one thing I would point out, what, what the markets are reacting to this morning, for instance, is this uh, employment cost index number that I mentioned earlier. That number came in much less than expected, and the Fed has been keying off of wages as something that they would uh, – wages and unemployment as data points that they would focus on to determine when the right time uh, to raise rates. So today, this number came in weaker than expected. Everybody thought it was going to be much stronger. And so the dollar has has weakened dramatically because the market has decided, well, the Fed's not going to raise rates in September. It's going to put it off till. December or maybe even next year. And this has been swaying back and forth based on every little data item that comes out. And uh, it's just kind of crazy. So the markets are a little bit, you know, not nothing huge, but on the margin, they're in a little bit of a tizzy uh, about you know, what the Fed's going to do and when it's going to do it. My personal opinion is that the Fed's already signaled that their intention is to raise rates so slowly that you won't even notice. And I suspect that the, the markets will eventually uh, adapt to that and, and not get uh, too two out of sorts about uh, rising rates because they're going to be so so slow because the economy has not been uh, growing fast enough. Now, if all of a sudden you know we start to hit the hit the gas pedal on the economy and it starts growing very quickly, the Fed will react very rapidly and the markets will have uh, probably a negative reaction to that. But uh, in the meantime, it's uh, it's still kind of uh, hard to know what, what ingredients are going to pop up as being the meaningful ones for that soup that the Fed's trying to, to brew. <laughs> you know, when you talk like that too, Rusty, I think for our listening audience, the, the reality is, I mean, it's hard to it's hard to predict what the future is going to be. It's hard to indicate. I mean, with all the numbers, people try to do the graphs and all this stuff. It just gets very difficult because uh, it, it is a soup. It is a constant moving and changing. So, so when somebody says, "Well, I think this is going to happen," or "I think this is going to happen," with it, you know, it really people need to understand. You don't invest for the short term; you invest for the long term. Right. I agree with that 100. percent And uh, it's impossible to to beat the market in the short term, really, uh, on a consistent basis. You might get lucky once every now and again. It's kind of like going to the casino; you get lucky every now and again, but in the end, you lose. Yeah, you all you have to do is look at the big buildings and say somebody's losing a lot. <laughs> Jeremy, one of the things that we talk about is all this issues as far as the the you know what's is earnings going to be better? So I mean, oh, you have a question for? Well, yeah, you know, first quarter, you know. Companies were really uh, returning a lot to shareholders with all-time quarterly record of, you know, dividends and, you know, buybacks. And so the question is, you know, with earnings coming out better than expected, is that a good sign? You know, are companies selling more? You know, are they doing things to increase their earnings and dividends? What's going on that you see with corporations? Well, it's a, it's a very interesting dynamic here where the, where the companies uh, – 
in mass are trying to manipulate the market to a certain degree. So what what you've had uh, every quarter since somewhere I think in 1997 or 1998, the S&P 500 companies have always beat their quarterly earnings expectations on average. Mm, that's right. Mm. So what they do is they set the bar quite low. The analysts who are covering the stocks really participate in this little scam. They set they follow whatever the company says, and then the company has set the bar so low that they always beat it. So this quarter right now, about 70% of the companies have beaten their earnings expectations, and then on average, the, in the S&P 500, and then on average, they're about 5% ahead of what they were expected to be. But they were expected to be kind of lousy. So even though they're a little bit better, they're just a little bit better than lousy. And actually, revenue growth has been less than uh, that. So the companies are manipulating. They're doing stuff to enhance their margins, mm-hmm. laying people off, they're cutting bonuses, they're cutting out you know, expending that they would have done otherwise in order to keep their short-term earnings going. But at the top line, you're not seeing sales moving ahead because the economy is sputtering along. And the dollar has been a, a strong dollar so far this year. has been a big headwind to a lot of the global companies in the S&P 500. So you've got a lot of things where it's like, it's you know, the, the report comes out and says, oh, you know, ExxonMobil or whoever. Actually, ExxonMobil didn't beat earnings. But no, most, right. companies, most of the companies are coming out and saying they've beaten earnings by quite a bit. But really, it's if you look at the actual raw number, it's not a great number. Do you think, Rusty, in the long term, that you know you can play that game for for quite some time and play it successfully? But does that not set up somewhere out there? Some you know, is there going to be a point where that begins to to come back and haunt them? Or do you think that you can that the manipulation of those numbers is something you just work through the process? I mean, I, I agree. You set the bar low enough, expectations are low, and then when you do something you know better than that, you're, you're seen as a hero. And that is that is that a game that we can play for long term, or is it something that's just kind of built into the system now? Well, it's certainly building the system, but at the same time, there's got to be a limit to it, right? There, at some point in time, you run out of flexibility to, you know, push your numbers around so to, to generate the result you want to generate. And uh, with the level of profit margins already being at a quite a high level, that's an indicator that they're going to have a hard time increasing their profit margins more. And that's what's actually going on. If you reduce your costs, your sales don't go anywhere, but you reduce your costs, you've increased your profit margin. But you can only reduce your costs so much before you actually do real harm to your company. And so there's got to be a limit, and we probably are somewhere near that limit. So I don't necessarily think that we're going to be able to continue to see companies uh, you know, do this. And one of the ways they're doing it now is buying back shares. So their their earnings per share looks higher, but their net income number may not actually be higher at all. Mm, that's that's a that's a great thing for us to think about. When a lot of people, you know, at this stage, I know a lot of our listeners, you get to thinking, well, the economy's not doing that great. Janet Yellen's may or may not raise rates. You know, all the things that go on. And so, I, I one of the things that I watch, and I guess it's just kind of a natural thing. You say, okay, what's the if there's enough fear, people begin to flock back to gold or or something like that. But yet, gold is continuing to fall as well as other commodity prices. I mean, I think last week we saw another you know, all-time low in oil. The Iranian issue has is, uh, kind of helped oil, I guess, if you say helped oil. But the reality is, is, is gold, because it continues to drop, is that saying that there's no fear? Uh, what, what is, what's your take on that? I mean, that's just a question I get from a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're at an all-time. So you're sitting here looking at uh, recent highs in the U.S. stock market back in May. I think it was we hit a high. Maybe in June we, we uh, took out another high. But um, we're seeing all-time, not all-time lows, but you know, 15-type year lows in commodity prices. And gold prices have come down quite a bit in the last five years as well. And what we're, I think that this all traces back to is China. I think when you look 
at you know China growing like a weed for for as long as it did. It was sucking in all the world's commodities: oil, iron ore, copper, gold, silver. All those things were being uh, sucked into that rapidly growing economy. Well, that that economy now is is on the downtick. It's not uh, into a recession yet, or at least. At least from a, we don't we don't think it is, but it's certainly heading in that direction. And the there's been a rapid decline in demand for all those commodities as as the idiotic building boom that took place in China comes to a halt. You may we've talked before about the ghost cities in China. It takes a lot of cement and rebar and iron ore and copper to build those ghost cities where nobody's living. Once they stop building them all that demand for those commodities just falls off the cliff. And I think that's what we're seeing right now. Yeah, uh, it makes and, sense. Yeah. yeah. You know, Rusty, you know, with Jim mentioned, you know, with the Iran deal on nukes and, you know, we talked about oil a little bit, but oil prices have been falling, but the price at the pump is, hasn't been changing as of recently. Yeah, that's a question because I think one of the things that I'm concerned about is this Iranian, where we go through Iran and we we come up with this, uh, you know, the the nuclear policy, you might say, and, and yet that's changed the oil mindset. And it oil price is going, but why aren't we being affected? I mean, I pumped gas the other day, and it's not any lower than I mean, it's I've had lower than that in the past. So, is that an issue of just consumerism? Is that just where we are paying the price from a consumer standpoint? Or, I guess, Rusty, I'm, I'm thinking, why aren't we feeling that at the pumps? And I guess that's what you're asking, Jeremy. Yeah. Yeah, the bo- well, there's a bottleneck in the uh, oil delivery system, which is the refiners. So the refiners are pretty much uh, near capacity. Uh, it's the summer driving season, so they're pumping out as much gas as they can. And, and so they're looking at it and saying, well, gosh, you know, we can't pump any more gas through our system here. The, our input price, oil, crude oil prices are going down, uh, but we're just not going to uh, lower our prices. We'll just make more profits. So there's a, the profits are being increased at the refinery level in order to – and a lot of these refineries are owned by the big oil companies who lose money on the crude side, you know, on the pumping of oil because oil prices are going down. They're starting to lose money or have less earnings at least. And so they're trying to make that back up on the refinery side. And so the economy is not benefiting as much as it normally would from lower oil prices because we're not seeing it at the pump. Well, will, that, will we see it, say, let's go out a year from now. Will that will we begin to get the effect of that then, or is it just something we're just not going to ever get? I mean, is it something we just might as well say it's not going to happen to us? Well, it all depends on supply and demand. And, uh, of course, demand will decline as the summer driving months you know, go down, as the driving levels decrease. Uh, so probably you're going to see some benefit, but not, you won't see all the benefit. Hmm. Well, you know, again, I guess what I'm thinking is I'm trying to get an overall consensus about what we're seeing. And I, and I think, Rusty, you do that for us. We've talked about the U.S. economy. We've talked about the Fed rise. You know, are we going to see rates go up this year? And, boy, again, that's so hard to, to determine. And, uh, you know, oil prices, gold prices, all this, the commodities doesn't, you know, doesn't seem to be reacting much. But when we come back, I this big issue with China has really kind of set the tone. I mean, is it is it the is it the end of a beginning of the end, or or what's the is it going to affect us? Does the dollar have any effect on that? A lot of questions about China. If you just tuned in, we're talking with Rusty Leonard. He is the CFA founder and CEO of Strategic Partners Investment Council. A dear friend, a frequent guest of ours, and a person has a lot of knowledge and a wealth of knowledge and a great way of explaining to it. We'll come back. We're going to talk about China and the issues we have with China. So stay with us. We'll be back in a minute. 
This is Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. The views and opinions expressed are those of Rusty Leonard only and have not been presented on behalf of or endorsed by Securian Financial Services Incorporated or Shoemaker Financial. Helping you make the most of your money, Talk Money will return right after this. Have you thought about pursuing a career in financial services but have no experience in the industry and need training? If you are goal-oriented, highly motivated, and enjoy working with people, you have the skill set Shoemaker Financial is looking for. Shoemaker Financial is continuing to grow their team of financial advisors in the Mid-South, and they're ready with the training and tools you need to get started. With over 35 years of providing professional advice, quality products, and excellent service in the Mid-South, you too can now be a part of their growing firm. If you're interested in learning more about this opportunity, contact Contact Haley Kemp at 901-757-5757 or email at hkemp at shoemakerfinancial.com. Helping you make the most of your money. This is Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. Investments in commodities and natural resources involve heightened risk due to leveraging and speculative investment practices, lack of periodic valuation requirements, and potentially complex tax structures. And now, once again, here's your host for Talk Money, Jim Shoemaker. Welcome back. I'm Jim Shoemaker along with Jeremy Jones. Our guest is Rusty Leonard. He is the CFA, founder and CEO of Stewardship Partners Investment Council, a frequent guest of ours and um, somebody we like to just listen to. And so let's let him talk because I'm interested about China. China seems to have in the last two weeks been just kind of on the uh, brink of disaster. You read the news, you hear the things that falling 30 percent downturn. I do know they've had a 150 percent run up in the last 12 months or 18 months. And that 30 percent doesn't seem as bad when you think about it that way. But it's going through, you know, it's got some uh, economic problems. And uh, is that going to... um, Going to create an issue. I mean, I can, you know, a couple of months ago, a couple of years ago, we were talking about the China was going to overcome the world economically. So I'm really interested in what you think about this, Rusty. Yeah, it's a hard one. It's kind of like uh, the, the problem the Fed has sorting out the U.S. economy. This one's not too easy either. And it's even more difficult because you don't get good data. The Chinese are kind of lying and you know, not giving you the full full picture. So you really have to try to piece through this. But one of the things that the commodity prices that we talked about earlier going down tells us is that China's doing bad. So no matter what the government's telling you, you can tell by the price of uh, copper that China's not doing as well as it used to be doing. And so we are concerned that uh, China may go into a recession, and that could have a, uh, you know, a big impact on the rest of the world. It could actually have a positive impact on uh, the U.S. because we don't really export a ton to China, and we import a ton, and it would keep prices low and allow the Fed to not raise interest rates as, as soon if, if uh if the deflationary impact coming out of China was to overwhelm any kind of inflationary impact we would see here in the U.S. from other reasons. So there's, you know, it's, it's something that uh, we need to keep a close eye on. I would think the financial markets would be disrupted uh, if China did actually enter into a recession for a while just because of the uncertainty of it. But like I said, certain places benefit from that and other places uh, are negatively impacted. But uh, in the U.S. would probably be one of the ones that would have the least impact because of Exports as a percent of our overall economy are small in the first place, and then we don't, you know, it's even smaller if you just look at China itself. Yeah, well, Rusty, I think uh, China, that, that that's one of the areas that definitely makes uh, me nervous in the unknown, you know, and the government Greece, keeping things. We? Yeah, well, and, you know, Greece, I, you know, I'd about put Greece on the shelf. You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm about tired of Greece. But, but the question to, for you 
you know, Rusty, is, you know, Greece, okay, is it going to keep popping back <laughs> up in the news? Or, or is it finally going to move on and we get past Greece? Are we Greece? done, in other words? Correct. <laughs> I wish I could tell you, Jeremy, that Greece was something you could actually put on the shelf and not pay any attention to, but I can't tell you that. And the reason is because the politicians are such, you know, numbskulls. They, in Europe, the European politicians, they refuse... Just Europe? No, I can, just... Oh, well, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Probably could broaden that out a bit. Right. But the, uh, at least in this case, it's the European politicians. Right. And they refuse to deal with the real issue, which is the fact that they've given too much, too many loans to Greece. They, Greece will never be able to repay them. They keep ignoring that fact and covering it up because of the political consequences. But as a result of that, you know that it's going to pop back up in the news. And they're really struggling at the moment even to you know, keep the little patchwork deal they put together at the beginning of July, or middle of July, to keep that together. The IMF has already kind of bailed on them and said, we're not participating in this nonsense any longer. And um, so you can be sure that Greece will be back in the news. At the same time, it's a small country. It's, uh, it'll be in the headlines. It creates big headlines, but it doesn't really create big economic uh, issues, no matter what happens. There. Does our market react to that? Does, does, our, does our public react to that? Is that, you know, the investor, the, the, the novice? Is that Because is it seemed like the market in the 1st of July reacted dramatically with this headlines of Greece. Is that the norm, or is that the emotional side of it, or, or is it something really that stands to have any credibility whatsoever? Yeah. I wouldn't blame the novice. I would blame the professionals. Uh, <laughs> professional investors are the ones who are very short-term oriented. They're investing using leverage, and so they have to take into account anything that they think might move the market, whether it makes sense or not. And so uh, they're the ones because they're you know heavily leveraged, and uh, they've got to act fast, and that causes an overreaction That's to these headlines. Point. That's a good that, point. You know, really doesn't need to. So it's not it's not the novice. They're they're kind of doing their own thing, investing their four hundred one k, making more sensible long term decisions. It's the lunatic fringe uh, institutional investor who is a hedge fund all leveraged up and worried about what looking over his shoulder to see what his his neighbor hedge fund might do that might impact his portfolio. You know, Rusty. I guess that when we think about Greece, the reality is Greece has been in a you know a, a, a I guess an eight year. It's an eight-year consecutive year of a recession. And, you know, either they climb out of it or they don't. So the reality is we, we, we don't see them climbing out of it. So in reality, they're going to have to wake up and smell the roses and do something, obviously, better than what they're doing. And so we just need to understand that. I mean, in the next six months, three months, six months, 18 months, that's going to happen. We just need to be sensitive to it and be aware of it. Is that what you're taking and saying? Yes, and, and don't even get too too concerned about it. Don't let it bother you too much because it will be resolved because it has to be. And it, some people, you know, people will be hurt, but it's probably not going to be anybody listening on this call if they, you know, just stay the course. Right. Uh, Greece, Greece is just a small little effect. Now, the risk, the thing that causes the markets to worry is that if Greece suddenly turns, if Italy suddenly turns into a Greece, if the fact that Greece goes down causes Italy to all of a sudden weaken and start going down the same path, then we got real problems. But uh, that's not close to happening yet, but that's what the markets will worry about. All right, let's look at this first half of the year and uh, up through the day, I guess. You know, the market has been, and Jimmy, we talked about this, the market has been up and down. You heard the CNBC report there at the half of the hour where, you know, we've got just slightly up in the S&P, slightly up in, you know, the you know the, uh, the Dow, but, but and, and of course the NASDAQ was up a bit, but it's just been up and down, up and down, up and down. We're not really seeing anything happen this year. It's just been kind of a steady ho-hum. Um, 
Nothing exciting, but that's kind of a, sometimes drives the market in, in a direction. Is it going to break out, or is it going to go? What are you seeing from the technical side, I guess, Rusty? What are you, what are you looking at? Well, let me give you one fun fact just to start off. Fun fact is that on mon- last Monday, Chinese stocks fell by 8.5%. And that's, that range, 8.5%, is greater than the range that U.S. stocks have traded in all year long which has been about 7%. You know, from high to low, the U.S. stock market's only gone in a range of about 7%. So on one day, China beat what we've done all year long. So it's been like watching paint dry here in the U.S., watching the stock market. This <laughs> it's year. true. But, but the technical trends are not positive right now. There's, there, there's something called breadth of the market, and you're seeing that deteriorate. You're seeing only, basically, you're seeing only a fewer, fewer and fewer stocks supporting, keeping the stock market higher. And um, it's, it's you know, sending signals that it needs to correct. And the market does need to correct. It's been up for a long time, and it's just normal for markets to correct at some point in time. And a correction generally is like a 10 or 15% downtrend. That's kind of what we're thinking is going to happen, is that we're going to get a short-term 10 or 15% hit to the market that will kind of clean it out and get it set up for the next upturn. But uh, we think that's likely. And we're in the season right now where things are getting weaker. It's the seasonal period for Well, you know, that's true. It is the season. August is the worst performing month, you know, as far as the market's concerned. Mm-hmm. We talk about that all the time. December being the best. And so many people say, well, I get out in August. I'll forget to get back in by December. You missed it. <laughs> that's what happens to us. Well, I guess the, the last question I really want to dive into you, this government intervention. Uh, You know, the market seems to have been dramatically, I mean, over the years, there seems to be enough government intervention. Are we going to pay a price for that? Are we going to deal with that? Is it going to happen? What's going to deal with us from there? Well, I wish I could answer that question and say this is what's going to happen. I don't know. Uh, I've I've been surprised at the uh, uh, amount the government has been willing to get into the markets, not just here in the U.S., even more so outside the U.S. And in Japan, we have the government, the central bank is not just buying bonds like the U.S. central bank did. They're buying stocks. They're buying ETFs. In China, you just saw all kinds of things the government did to halt the 30% decline that you mentioned earlier that happened in the space of one month. And so what has happened is the, the stock market has become an important uh, policy tool for the governments in trying to manage the economy because so many people are invested now through their 401ks that the government feels like they've got to intervene and keep intervening to keep this thing going. And so you can't get a normal correction like we were talking about just a moment ago, and that causes that'll cause some problem. It'll be a harder fall at a later date because of this government manipulation of the markets. And so it is a big concern. And hopefully it will be something that will be withdrawn as, as things return to more normal. Some normal uh, normality. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Well, you know, Rusty, it always is a pleasure. You do such a good job for us, and I thank you so much for this. And I think what, what you've given us is uh, a sense of optimism long term. There's going to be some uh, bumps in the road. There are always going to be bumps in the road. And uh, we should be welcoming some kind of a correction. It does kind of settle things out, cleans out the dust, and moves us on to the next level. Yeah. A lot that's of a people thing. struggle with that, though, and uh, what you're telling us is we got to just accept it. That's part of the market. Yep, that's a healthy thing. Yeah. Good for you in the long run. Thank you, sir. Have a great weekend. We appreciate you always being with us. You've been listening to Talk Money. Our guest has been Rusty Leonard. He is the CEO and founder of Stewardship Partners, and uh, we thank him again for being a part. We'll have him back on in a couple of months and uh, just get another update. So thank you, Rusty. Have a great weekend, sir. All right. You too. Thank okay. you. Thanks, Rusty. 
All right, when we come back, we're going to dive into some facts about Social Security. We're going to talk about some things you just don't want to do as an investor. I mean, it's just the things you don't want to get caught up in the emotional side. We're going to give you some ideas of how to avoid that, how to stay away from making terrible, terrible mistakes. we got Rebecca Brashear coming up in just a second, and she's going to talk about Mid-South Moment. Securities and investment advisory services are offered through Securian Financial Services Incorporated, member FINRA SIPC. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. Neither Securian Financial Services Incorporated nor Shoemaker Financial are affiliated with Rusty Leonard or Stewardship Partners Investment Council Incorporated. Talk money. We'll return right after this. On September 26, 1933, all the members of the John Dillinger gang escaped from prison in Michigan City, Indiana in the early morning hours. What is not well known is that the FBI arrested notorious Memphis gangster and bootlegger George Machine Gun Kelly that same morning on the order of J. Edgar Hoover. Kelly had kidnapped Oklahoma City tycoon Charles Urschel and had been on the run for over 50 days before the FBI caught up with him in Memphis. Kelly surrendered to the FBI and Memphis police without a fight. The trials that follow were significant because they were the first kidnapping trials in the United States after kidnapping was made a federal offense. They also marked the first time that defendants were moved by airplane, and it was the first major crime solved by the FBI. George Kelly and his wife were convicted and sentenced to life in prison. George spent 17 years in Alcatraz before being transferred to Leavenworth. He died three years later of a heart attack on his 59th birthday. This has been another Mid-South History Moment brought to you by Shoemaker Financial. You're listening to Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Just search for Shoemaker Financial. And now, once again, here's your host for Talk Money, Jim Shoemaker. You know, when we talk about what Rusty was going through with us and going through the process of some of the things economically, the headlines, and, you know, all those things, you kind of boil it down to the reality is there's no way for us to know what's going to happen tomorrow. So when we talk about to our to everybody listening and to the people that we are entrusted to handle what we work with them and help them with their investments and guide them as counselors, the reality is we try to help them focus on a, the long term, Jeremy, you know, right. and it's because uh, you can't. You can't get up in the morning and try to readjust everything based on the headline news. That's that top-down mentality. You right. can't read the top headline and say, hey, I'm going to go do it this way. You have to think about it from the bottom up. You do some fundamental planning. If you have a strong plan, then you can work from that plan. And that's kind of our basic financial planning philosophy. So Absolutely. in the few minutes that we got left, I want to kind of walk us through some attitudes, some approaches, some some actions, and some how things that we should be doing, uh, because we still live somewhat in the shadow of 2008. Right. And that's a problem. Well, and the first thing is, you know, being an emotional investor. Oh, you know, we, we just talked with Rusty, and we talked about China and Greece and you know, you hear the news is, you know, it's negative. It's negative most of the time. And so, you know, people become frozen when they start hearing things and they don't know what to do. And you start letting the emotions take over. And that's not a good thing. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it makes you make knee jerk reactions. Knee jerk. And that's not good. So markets are going to go up. They're going to go down. That's normal. And Rusty talked about that. So don't let the short term noise 
affect your long-term plan. Right. So first thing we want to tell everybody to avoid is don't get caught up in what everybody else is doing. We call that following the herd. Right. Don't do that. That's the thing you just shouldn't do. It's that herd mentality that people get, okay, you know, this is what I heard they were going to do. This is what everybody's selling, 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 or buying, buying, buying. Regardless, sometimes people think, well, it just happens when the market's going to a negative. No, it's the euphoric side where the market's going up. Everybody's jumping When you know everybody else is doing it, it's probably not time for you to get in. That's right. It's probably too late. 2008, the real estate market was a great example. Yeah. Back in 2004, 5, 6, 7, everybody, you ran into somebody that was a real estate agent, a home builder. They were in some, whatever it might be, mortgage broker, was in the business. Everybody. And (laughs) and I was talking to someone yesterday that I met yesterday, and he was talking about his son all of a sudden wanted to start building homes. Out of the clear blue sky. So he was going to go in with a friend of his, and they were going to buy some land and build a few homes. And guess when that was? That was 2007. (laughs) Right at the top. Yeah. That's typical. So when you think that everybody else is making money on the side or doing other jobs, and then all of a sudden you want to jump in, you got to think about that. Yeah, it's okay to buy a car because everybody else is buying a good car. Uh, uh, a washing gotta, machine, something radio, you gotta have. or television. But uh, be careful when it comes to the, Absolutely. You know, the herd tends to gather its most strength, as you said with the home builder, just before it crashes over the cliff. And that Absolutely. happens all the time. So how do you do that? Follow the rules. When we said you had a plan, stick to your plan. Be careful not to respond to top-down reports. That's the news reports. Right. Be disciplined with what you do and just uh, avoid that. When we come back, we'll deal with what it means to be an emotional investor because emotions are strong and they get us caught up. We've got to take a kind of a news and weather and a traffic update report. And when we get back, we're going to kind of give you a couple of more of these things to just avoid, just stay out of the out of the, the following of everybody else and some things to avoid as an investor. So stay with us. We'll be right back after this. Listening to Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. Remember, this material represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific point in time and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results, research, investment advice, or a recommendation to purchase or sell a security. Helping you make the most of your money, Talk Money will return right after this. Take a second and think about the three most important goals or priorities in your life right now. At Shoemaker Financial, their team of qualified and experienced financial professionals is committed to helping you achieve these goals or priorities. From insurance needs to college funding, retirement, or estate planning, Shoemaker Financial is here to help you accomplish your long-term financial objectives. To learn more, visit ShoemakerFinancial.com or contact them at 901-757-5757. At Shoemaker Financial, it's not just the plan. It's the results. You're listening to Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. Podcasts of the Talk Money program are available for iOS mobile devices. Go to the iTunes store and search for Shoemaker Financial. And now, once again, here's your host for Talk Money, Jim Shoemaker. You know, Jeremy, we were talking about, uh, first of all, don't follow the herd. Don't follow everybody. Right. You, know, you mentioned emotional investments. When you talk about emotional investing, tell me a little bit about that emotional side because you know, there's two sides to the emotion. You got the euphoric, you got to get in, like you talked about with a guy and decided in 2004 to, to build homes, 2007. Right. And then it's the other guy that says, oh, my goodness, the sky's falling, the sky's falling. You know, we remember that little story from elementary school. Sure. How do you handle that? How do you, that is so tough. Well, this is the hardest thing to do, but this is what you need to do, and that's put the volatility out of your mind. 
you know, that's taking, you know, if the market's down today, you know, why worry about today when you got to think about the long-term hmm. focus, long-term picture? And I use the analogy, the stock market's the only thing that when it's down, everybody's like, I'm losing, I'm losing. Go back to the real estate example. When your price of your home was dropping and the value of it dropped, well, if you weren't moving, why did the drop of the value really affect you? It it didn't. I got up every morning, still turned the air conditioner on, I turned the heat on, I still live. You the were same not place. selling. Nope. You were not selling it, so you haven't lost anything yet. Right. So if you just stayed in the house, you know, it's for another twenty years, whatever it may be, the value is coming back. And we're seeing values come sure. back today. So it's the same thing with the market. You know, it's gonna be volatile, but take that short term day to day out of it. You still gotta think long term. But, you know, a lot of people, I think, we have this mindset. Some people get caught up in this doomsday mindset where everything's going to come to an end. You know, we have to realize that there's been periods of time in history that there's always been crisis. And you can't get caught up in the crisis mentality. If you do, then it's almost like, you you know, you go buy dried food and you know, build a bunker someplace in Arkansas and, and set up your guns. And, and you, that's the type of life you live. Sure. You have to realize we're investing in in the great companies of America, great companies of the world, and uh, they're in the business of making profits. And, you know, Rusty talked about that and how they do that. And, you know, it, you know, there's going to be time to time periods that are not always going to be perfect. So if you just remember that you've got a plan, you've got a strategy, you need to understand that your long-term horizon is to, to go out. Now, if you're short-term, then you don't need to be in the market. Maybe you need to be differently invested than someone that's got a long-term horizon. So know your long-term horizon. That should let me, let me, Let's give some people some very fundamentals when it comes to, to the emotions and what you're talking about. Number one, I think you do need to know your, short, your time horizon. Is it short-term? Is it mid-term? Is it long-term? Describe what short-term means for everybody, Jeremy. Well, when you're talking about short-term, you're talking about over the next couple of years. Two years. Two years. You know, when I have someone say that I have some I have some money, I want to invest it, but I might need it, uh, you know, next year, I'm like, you can't invest, you know, that short-term. So short-term, zero to two years, then you're kind of getting into that mid-term range, and that could be anywhere from three to eight years. You know, some use it up to 10 years, but again, that's in that mid-term range. You can take a little bit more risk, uh, take on a little bit more volatility. You can't think real long term, but you're still trying to, you know, make be a good steward of Absolutely. your money and make money on it. And then long term is getting out there to eight to ten years plus when you're thinking about a long range plan. And one uh, thing to keep in mind, you know, your long range plan is not just to retirement age. That's what a lot of people don't think about. And when we're talking about retirees, need to be thinking uh, long term as well. I think a lot of people forget that, you know, yeah, when I'm 65 years old, then I'm, you know, I don't need to be thinking long term. That's still a 25 year long term. We saw some statistics a couple of weeks ago that if you're two people 65 years old, one of them, if they're in reasonable health, one of them is going to live to be 91. Absolutely. And so you have to still think somewhat long term. But you need to know your risk tolerance. You need to know what is your emotions. And then as you have a plan, stick to the plan, know what you're doing with it. And uh, that's a very, very effective way to do that. What's another thing they just shouldn't do? Well, what they shouldn't do is thinking about not diversifying and and neglecting to kind of rebalance their portfolio and look at how they're invested. You know, when we talk about diversification, you know, that's diversifying a, a, uh, in different types of stocks and what you're invested in, whether it's U.S., internationally, real estate, 
oil that he talked was, uh, Rusty talked about. You got to look at the mix that you're into for your certain goals and time horizon. So you know, need to manage manage your risk by diversifying, but know the risk, the function, your goals, the time horizon. What is my risk? What is the tolerance of my risk? So when you diversify, you're not just playing a game with it, right? Absolutely. Jeremy, I thank you so much for today, man. You did a great job, as always you do. I appreciate you being here with me. It's great to have you in that right chair. If you've been listening, of course, you've been listening to Talk Money. We thank you for being a part of the program. Our producer and board operator today is always our little German guy, Mr. Art Frederick. He did a great job for us. Guest and content coordination, Francis Fortner. And again, production assistants, Eleanor Moskovich and Katie Brashear. Mid-South History Moments, read by Rachel, Rebecca, excuse me, Rebecca Brashear, and it's written by Drew Johnson. We want to thank everybody. Just again, for being part of our program and listening. We have, thank you so much for sending us your emails, for just kind of you know reaching out to us and saying how much you appreciate the program. I'm Jim Shoemaker along with Jeremy Jones. We're here every Friday helping you make the most of your money. Jim Shoemaker and Jeremy Jones are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services Incorporated, securities dealer member FINRA SIPC. A registered investment advisor, Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated.